So I was in sixth grade when I first encountered love, or at least a new type of love. Uh, I generally hated middle school. It's like an awkward time of everybody's life. Uh, There's rules being written and rewritten daily, and I felt like no one was telling me what those rules were, just playing catch-up the whole time. You know, you would suddenly a guy starts playing the clarinet in sixth grade, and no one wants to be his friend anymore because that's a girl's instrument. (laughs) No one told me that. (laughs) On top of that, you're experiencing emotions and feelings at a rate like never before explored and felt, and at an intensity like never before encountered. And it is just terrible. And it is all coming at you all at the same time. And then on top of that, you kind of start noticing the opposite sex. Like, for a while I was like, girls are yucky. You know, like just going to hang out with my friends and play in the dirt and all is that good. But then all of a sudden you're like, well, she's kind of cute, but I'm still wearing superheroes in my underwear. So I don't know which way to go, and I'm at a crossroads. So awkward. So I'm sitting in my homeroom in sixth grade, and I get approached by a gang of giggling girls, kind of thing, and they're chattering, and I'll like immediately, you know, you gets your attention, and I'm like, okay, this is either going to be really good or really bad. There is no in-between here. These girls were way out of my league, mind you. So, like, I was very concerned. And uh, so they're chattering and giggling, and, and this one girl's like, I know someone who likes you. Now, I don't want to step on a social landmine here, so I'm, like, trying to keep my cool, but I'm like, all right, this is looking good. <laughs> she continues, yeah, she like likes you. And inside, I'm like, yes, that is Right. I got it going. Clearly all this hair gel I've been putting in my hair to slick it back, all the body spray is obviously working. Again, trying to keep my cool without showing them that I'm too excited. Now, mind you, I was convinced it was one of the girls in this group. I noticed they've been traveling in packs now for some time, and I could only assume (laughs) it had to have been for safety reasons. So I took a bold step. And like in the most suave sixth grade, like little boy still wearing Superman underwear could could do, I was like, is that so? (laughs) Who is it? And they got quiet for a minute. And I was like expecting one of these girls to like, you know, know, profound their their deepest like-like for me at that moment. And they're like, it's Anna. And they ran away. And I'm sitting at my desk, and I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Woof. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Middle school does horrible things to the human face. I'm fairly positive that OPEC could have considered me a sister nation for the oil fields that I had going on up there. And I'm sure she turned into a lovely girl. (laughs) But looks aside, I didn't like like Anna. I didn't like her. I I liked her as a friend, and I knew who she was, but I didn't know how to express that. Now, I think most sane, normal-minded human beings would have probably approached her and said, hey, I 
I understand you like like me. I'm flattered, to be honest, but I would just love to continue in our professional middle school relationship in, in, as we proceed in, down this path together. I, however, got up, and I could tell that she was, you know, embarrassed, and she knew the girls had said something to me, and I'm, you know, she's looking over at me, and, you know, she's beat red. And I get up, and I start walking over to her, and I, like, hesitate by her desk and go, and then continue on to the pencil sharpener and pretended that she never existed in my human existence after that. Horrible. I cringe when I think of, of things like that because I did not show her what love was. That's the problem with love. Love is a fickle beast. We have to use, you know, we try to use these qualifiers to define it and, and to, you know, back it up and, and to explain what it is and, and how it can be felt and how it can be experienced. But even with these qualifiers or trying to bring in definitions and words from other languages and, and stuff, it just doesn't hit the point. I mean, we've used these, these words to create beautiful poetry and stories and songs and, and, and all of the like, but it just isn't the same. And that's because in order for love to be fully experienced, love has to be shown. It can't just be talked about. Love should be treated as a verb. So as we continue in our sermon series of this new way, we, we get encountered with a very countercultural and radical message that Jesus is, is preaching to us in the sixth chapter of Luke. It's almost one of those things where, you know, we, we get and we've heard in verse 31, do unto others as you would have done unto them. And that's kind of easy enough to understand. But, man, if we go back and, and read what's going on in, in 27, this is like, you're joking, right? Like, I tell you, those who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn and give them the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop them from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks of you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. What? I, that just violates almost every core fiber in my being. If somebody does something to me, if someone strikes me, or if someone curses at me, if someone mistreats me or steals from me, or if someone does something to me to warrant me calling them my enemy, the first and absolute last thing that I want to do to them is to respond in love. I don't want to lift them in prayer. I don't want to bless them. It just sounds absurd. Why would Jesus go to this radical message? Why does he go to this extreme? It's important to remember that Jesus often operated in the extremes to get his point across. Jesus' main focus isn't of the world and the world's conditions. What Jesus is expressing here is what a heavenly response of what love looks like, of what his love looks like. Jesus isn't being prescriptive about what we should do in a specific situation. This is almost like a parable that he's telling. Jesus is being descriptive of how to show unconditional love. He's testing us because our earthly response and our worldly response is to get even, to seek vengeance, to strike back. But Jesus' response is to show love. And what he's doing here is he's testing our heart. And he's asking us an important question. When this happens, when we encounter hate, when we encounter an enemy, when we encounter stuff that, that, that frustrates and infuriates us, where can love be injected into this situation? If someone is stealing, do they have a physical need that we can meet for them? 
if someone is mistreating us, have we mistreated them? Can we reconcile with them and show them the love of Christ? And that's, I think, the first of two key points of what we're seeing here in this gospel message is that Jesus is painting a picture of what unconditional love looks like. The very same love that drove God to give his son up on the cross for you and for me. Jesus died for all of us, including our enemies. And everyone needs to know this radical love. It's for everybody. And this was a point that was was driven home uh, for me while we were on our summer mission trip uh, in northeastern Arizona in the Navajo Nation this past uh, July. We got to go to these tent revivals, and it's exactly what you'd expect. There's actually some pictures and stuff out there. You get a moment afterwards to go to the youth board and check them out. But we got to go to these tent revivals that were put on by the host church that was, that was hosting us. And these were, you know, just a, a giant tent in the middle of the field, and we had a community time together, and we ate together, and then there was worship, and it was really powerful. This, the community would actually come out around 6 or 7 o'clock at night, and the worship would last until 12, 1, 2 in the morning. Uh, we didn't stay for the whole thing. We stayed for the initial part where Pastor J.R., who was the pastor of this host church, introduced us, and and he began the worship service, and he started praying in Navajo, which was really cool to hear. And then the music started. The praise team came up, and I thought, okay, you know, this is going to be songs like Amazing Grace or How Great Is Our God or whatever, but probably in another language because we were told that most of the service was going to be held in Navajo. But it wasn't. These were tunes that I've never heard before. They were Navajo written music in, their, in the Navajo language. And as, as this music started kicking up, the band started playing, and everyone around us, is, is, it begins worshiping. I, like, had this, like, unexpected moment of, like, emotion. And it struck me. I was like, oh, that's right. God understands them, too. Like, God's not just for me or for people who, who, who only speak like me or look like me. Like, God is for everybody. And I was kind of, like, embarrassed to think about that. I'm like, that's right. This isn't just about me. God, Jesus' love, is for all people, regardless of their race, regardless of their language, regardless of their past. That love needs to be shown. So uh, in, in, in John's first letter, in the second chapter, he drives home this message of unconditional love. He says, Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Jesus gets radical because when it comes down to it, the only thing that matters is his love. Love is what really matters, and everything else can just get in the way of that. But Jesus is saying, look, this other stuff isn't going to last. This is what John is saying. The stuff of the world isn't going to last. The only thing that is going to last is the love of Christ. And this is what Jesus is demonstrating. The second key from our, from our gospel today is that love needs to be treated like a verb. There is an action to each response of the scenarios and the needs that Jesus is painting. We can talk a big game all we want and, and, and talk about the love that we have for others and all of that stuff, but unless we show that love, it's just words. And the thing about love is it's not convenient. Love is not convenient. 
we have to go out of our way often to show it, and it can be uncomfortable at times, or we just might not feel like it. It's not easy. I'm actually starting to become to, uh, like, really envy grandparents at this point of my parenting journey. <laughs> um, <laughs> my mom watches Micah uh, on Thursdays, and, and she gets him for about five hours. And I just, like, I envy that because she comes in and she just, like, focuses love on him for five hours. And, and, and she, can, she can focus and play with him and all that stuff. But when it's all said and done, she gets to go home at the end of the day. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> I'm the one doing the 4 a.m. wake up. <laughs> I'm the one doing the diaper blowout and, and, and dealing with the, the general craziness. Like, it's, it's, you know, she comes in there and, like, just loves him up and sugars him up and shakes him up and just goes, Well, bye. <laughs> See you later. It's like pulling the pin on a hand grenade and just walking out of the room. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) I love my son more than I thought it was humanly possible to love. And I do my best to show that. But there are times where it's just hard. It's, it's, It's tough. Like when I get home, there'll be times where I get home, and, you know, I just, I'm done. You know, it's, it's, everyone's had one of those days, right, where you are just mentally and physically tapped. And all I want to do is just sit on the couch and, and, and disconnect. But I come home and open the door, and there he is. Hi, Dad. Let's play choo-choo trains. I don't want to play choo-choo trains. I want to sit down. I want to just take a minute. And if I just continue, and sometimes I do, and, and it's, you know, that happens. But if I were to do that all the time, just come home and say, oh, you know, next time, bud, I love you, and sit down and just do my thing. And we only have about two hours by the time I get home to the time he goes to bed uh, on the weekdays that I'm home. If I just did that every time, love you, buddy, but I just, I just need a minute. Love you, buddy, but I just need a minute. Am I really ever saying anything? I would say no. I have to show him what that love is. And that might mean getting home and putting my bag down and playing choo-choo trains for the next two hours, even though I just want to pass out and be tired. But that's okay. Jesus models this love. Jesus defines this love. Jesus isn't just talk. We see Jesus washing feet of those that, you know, considered him to be, you know, we're serving you, and here he is serving them. We see Jesus associate himself with people of ill repute, people who was taboo and who he shouldn't have been around. We see Jesus healing the afflicted. And we see Jesus loving, loving us and loving people when we don't deserve it and ultimately taking our place in death. And this is how we know what love is. From our reading today, John points this out, those first couple of verses. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers. Now, he's not advocating that we physically have to go out and die, literally, although some people have been called to do that. But what he's saying is that we need to lay down that daily life that we have, lay down the walls that we've built up, lay down the comfort zones that we've created around us, lay those down for our fellow brethren, love when it is inconvenient. Love when we just don't feel like it. Love when it's easier to respond and hate. We have to follow his prompt when it might be uncomfortable. But that's where God works the strongest, when we're outside of our comfort zone. 
And that's where I saw this past uh, summer during the mission trip uh, with these kids. We had kids and adults from our congregation and congregations from Arizona and Colorado and Arkansas say, all right, you know what? I'm going to give up a week of my summer, and I'm going to go serve where there is a desperate need. They could have been doing anything. I mean, and they had the right to do anything. They, they could have been hanging out with friends or spending time with family or gotten a summer job or worked on a sport or a hobby or something, but they decided to put that on hold and go out and serve. And it was awesome. I mean, God showed up powerfully. The thing was, we didn't know what we were doing half the time. <laughs> like, there was construction projects to be done. There was relational ministry to be had. Uh, we had to run this thing called Kids Club, which was like a small-scale VBS that the, the host church had put on throughout the entire summer. And these kids stepped out in faith, all of these kids and, and these adults. And God showed up powerfully. During the Kids Club, I had another, like, God moment, you know, where it was just sort of, it hit me again. We, uh, we were teaching this lesson about how Jesus was the only way to get to heaven, and there was this props and games that we were doing that was related to making these paper airplanes. And the kids were playing with them, and, you know, they made their airplanes, and they decorated them, and, and we had a blast. Our kids did a great job presenting the message, and everything was super cool. And as we got done cleaning up after the dust had settled and, and everyone went home, I picked up a paper airplane that one of the kids had made, and written on the wing it said, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. And I was like, I just took a minute, and I thought, this is awesome. Because we didn't teach that. That wasn't something that was part of our lesson. That was something from somebody else's lesson that came in weeks ago, gave up their time, gave their energy to teach these kids, and it impacted one of them. It stuck in their heart, and they remembered that. And then they wrote it down on a, on a paper airplane during another lesson. And I was like, oh man, like God's working not just through us this week, but the people that came here the week before us, the people before them, the people that are going to come after us, the church that is here, God is moving powerfully. Just because somebody said, yeah, okay, I want to go show love. That's all it took. God was moving powerfully in that community. Imagine what God can do through us. Imagine what God can do through you. This doesn't mean we have to be a missionary to, to foreign lands or anything like that. If you feel that call, absolutely pursue it. But we're all called to be missionaries in our everyday life, to show this love of God, to step out of our normal and our comfortable. And that's the real test. It's not easy. This is our real mission field through the simple, through the repetitive, through the routine, through the mundane. We need to take an opportunity to show someone's, God, to show someone's God's love. We hear the, hear the term thoughts and prayers all the time. My thoughts and prayers are with you. My thoughts and prayers are with you. And I understand, like, the basic, you know, meaning behind it, but it's not in action. If, if, if you find yourself saying to somebody, hey, I'm going to pray for you, take a step outside of that comfort zone and say, hey, can I pray for you right now? Is there something that I can lift up for you right now that you need? If you see someone in need, ask, can I get you anything? If someone is grieving, comfort them, listen to them. Respond in love to the jerk. Respond in love to that horrible customer service agent. Respond in love instead of hate. Don't respond as the world is expecting us to, because if we're not going to show God's love to this world, who is? There's far too much darkness to just contribute more darkness. There's too much hate. 
I mean, just look around with the current events that have been going on this past few weeks in our country and our world. It's just a new example of the same sin problem that has been plaguing us from the beginning. And there is only one way to respond. There's only one way to respond. Again, in his first letter, John writes, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother, they live in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. Martin Luther King famously once said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and he is love in action. And we can talk about him all we want. We can talk about love. We can define it. We can write beautiful poetry and songs to explain it and to describe it. But it's not fully known until it's shown. And so it starts with us. We first have to accept it ourselves. This isn't something that's just for everybody else. We, too, get to experience the love of Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus died for you. And that alone is worth sharing. His light has to be in us for us to spread it. And it shouldn't be contained. It's something that we should show other people and let it overflow. So let's be this radical love in action that the world just can't figure out and doesn't know how to respond to. Let it into our hearts today. And then let's go out and let it out by showing the world who he was, by sharing his love. Amen.